0: In this video, we're going over herbs that expel parasites and substances for topical application. These are the last two categories that we learn, and they're both pretty short, so we're just gonna do them both at the same time. But if you wanna download the handouts or the flashcards, links to those are below. And this video is brought to you by the TCM Study Single Herb Review Course. So if you're studying for finals, year-ends, or boards, and you wanna review all of the herbs in a quick, efficient manner, check out the Single Herb Review Course now available on Teachable. This is a course that you buy once and then you own it forever. So it's not a subscription. You just pay for it once and then you can use it for as long as you want and as many times as you want. So you can use it to study for your finals. You can use it again to study for your clinic uh, entrance exams and then you can use it again for boards. So go ahead and check that out. There's a link to that below. So here we're talking about herbs that expel parasites. Now, if you remember before, we've talked about these types of parasites before in other categories. We have other herbs with this action of killing parasites or expelling parasites. So even this semester, we learned some very famous ones like Wu Mei, black plum, from the stabilize and bind category is very good for dealing with roundworms, specifically vomiting roundworms. Uh, Hua Zhao in the warm the interior category also dealt with roundworms. And so that's something we've learned before. We've also talked about some other herbs that we can apply topically to treat skin infection. And those are things that we consider parasites as well. So we learn things like kushen, baibu, these other herbs that apply topically to treat certain types of skin infection. Well, here with our category herbs that expel parasites, here we're just talking about herbs that their primary action has to do with expelling parasites. So in the, all those other categories, we had certain herbs with a secondary action that they could also be used for that application of killing parasites. Here we're just saying we have a group of herbs that their primary use is dealing with parasites. So if you remember in our previous discussion about parasites, we talked about in TCM parasites can mean two different things. They can mean real parasites like intestinal worms, things like roundworms, tapeworms, pinworms, hookworms, and these are real parasites that are inside the body, inside the, usually in the intestines. But when, in TCM when you say parasites, that can also refer to certain skin infections as well, like uh, fungal infections or tineas. And here I know a lot of the times all in the past I've used the word tinea and people ask me what that means. Tinea just means a contagious fungal infection. Think like athlete's foot is a fungal infection uh, that affects the skin but it turns out you can have that same fungal infection in other parts of the body. And so, and we can't call it athlete's foot if it's on different parts of your body. So the generic term is tinea. And so if it's on your foot, it's called tinea pedis. If it's on your head, it's called tinea capitis. You can have it in your armpits and your groin, things like that. So when we say tinea, that just means fungal infection. And then we can have other types of things like just various types of Itchiness, dampness, oozing, or scabies are little mites that burrow under the skin and cause skin issues, or lichen is another skin condition. So when we talk about uh, parasites, we can mean two different things. We can mean real parasites, intestinal parasites, actual worms inside the body, or we can mean these skin diseases, fungal infections. And so sometimes a way we can differentiate these with our terminology is when we're talking about these intestinal parasites. Typically, in Chinese, we use the term expel parasites as we're trying to get the parasites to pass out through the large intestine. We're expelling them from the body. Whereas we're dealing with parasites as in skin infection, then we use the term kill parasites as we're killing things on the surface. So at least traditionally in Chinese, this was a a way to differentiate it, but I feel like in modern literature, we kind of use the terms interchangeably. So sometimes we say kill parasites when we're actually talking about these internal parasites. So maybe that's not very helpful. But we should say that when we talk about this category, herbs that expel parasites, we're generally talking about this first type. The real parasites, the intestinal worms, so we're trying to expel those out of the body. We're dealing with these things like roundworm, tapeworm, pinworm, hookworm, and also certain types of blood parasites like blood fluke. But we're dealing with these real parasites. Um, some of them may or may not deal with these skin infections, but really this is about these intestinal parasites. So when we get these intestinal parasites, what does that look like? Well, our signs and symptoms can be things like para-umbilical pain, as in pain around the umbilicus, around the belly button, because you got parasites there. Um, Vomiting uh things are rebelling back upwards. A change in appetite, or we say deranged appetite. This is also called pica. This, I think, is especially is something that happens in children. If they have some parasites, you might notice that they start eating dirt, or they start eating paper, or they just start eating weird things. And it looks kind of weird, but that could be a sign that they have some sort of parasite. So deranged appetite. Or itching of the rectum, nose, or ears. Presumably, this is because where the parasites are. So I think, again, this is a common way to know that children might have some pinworms or something like that as they start itching their rectum. And if these symptoms go on for a long time, if we have prolonged uh, parasitic infection, we might see things like a pale or wan complexion fatigue, an emaciated body uh with a distended abdomen. And in Chinese, this is called gan accumulation. So this is something, gan also means like childhood malnutrition, but it is sometimes associated with parasites, but sometimes not. So this would be something like Sometimes you see on the, the commercials with a Sarah McLaughlin move, uh, music where they're trying to get you to donate money. They have some, they show some children from a third world country, um, that they have very thin bodies, thin arms and legs, but still a distended abdomen. So, uh, that would be an example of gone accumulation of childhood malnutrition, possibly with some involvement of parasites. So those are the signs and symptoms we're going to see with these real parasites, these intestinal parasites. And then, just something I like to point out here too is that when we talk about expelling parasites in this category, we're talking about real, substantial, actual parasites. Like the Chinese term here is chong, which means worm. So we could also call these worm expelling medicinals. So we're dealing with those real, verifiable parasites like roundworm, tapeworm, pinworm. This would be the kind of thing like, if you were, if you suspected you had a parasite, you could get a stool sample, take it into a lab, and they would uh, check the stool for eggs, and they could verify that you indeed had a parasite, and they would be able to identify exactly which species of parasite it is. And I just say this because I feel like 10 years or so ago, there was a big fad, like before we had celery juicing and before people were eating Tide Pods, there was this fad where basically everybody thought they had a parasite that they just had general signs of fatigue and malaise. They're like, oh, I must have a parasite. I need to do this parasite cleanse. And that was um, kind of a trend back then. But for here, what we're really talking about is you should be able to verify through, uh, through like a, a stool sample that you actually do have parasites. This isn't for that general malaise. And I guess another thing we can bring up here is there is a separate concept here called goo syndrome that you might have heard of. Um, Einar Fruhoff has done uh, a lot of research on this and uh, done a lot of classes and presentations about this. And here the term goo, it's related to the character parasite, I believe, but it really refers to more like a a possession like evil spirits or dark energy is lurking deep in the body and it's like a latent pathogen that's very difficult to treat and very difficult to get out and so that's something that we sometimes say it's kind of like a parasite but it's a separate thing called goo syndrome sometimes i think we talk about this like in relation to like lyme's disease or I've seen things recently where they talk about long COVID might be a form of goo syndrome. So that's something a little bit different. And so I just want to emphasize here that when we talk about expelling parasites, we're, we're definitely talking about real parasites that it's very easy to diagnose because we can look for evidence of either dead bodies coming out in the stool or eggs coming out in the stool. So this is just um, a review, an overview here, that parasite can refer to real intestinal parasites or it can refer to uh, skin infections. And generally uh, here we're talking about intestinal parasites. We talked about our signs and symptoms. Typically these herbs are taken on an empty stomach because if you wanna kill the parasites, these will be more effective in killing the parasites if you don't have food mixed in there as well. And then most of these we use caution during pregnancy. this is kind of insensitive. I was going to make a joke, but I, I I'm not really not really a big fan of children. So sometimes I think of like children as being like parasites. So like if you're trying to expel parasites from your body, probably don't want to do that when you're pregnant. Um, and then we do have these different terms: expel parasites that typically refers to expelling intestinal parasites, or kill parasites. Usually refers more to like skin infection. But it turns out in at least in modern. Uh, modern books, possibly in, in older books too, kill parasites can really refer to either one. But if you say expel parasites, you're probably talking about getting rid of real worms. And also just, uh, again, to get on to terminology, sometimes we do say different things here where we might talk about action of dealing with parasites, but we're not necessarily killing them or expelling them. So I think when we talked about Wum, uh, wume or uh, Chuan lienza we talked about calming roundworms. There, we actually weren't necessarily killing the roundworms or we weren't expelling the roundworms. We were just, the roundworms are a little bit too active and they are causing symptoms, so we're going to calm them down a little bit. Or when you talk about Chuan Chuanlianza dealing with parasites, It doesn't actually kill the parasites, it just deals with that abdominal pain associated with parasites. So sometimes we will see other actions associated with parasites as well, like calming roundworms or treating uh, pain associated with parasites. But anyway, in this category, we're we're generally dealing with killing and expelling intestinal parasites. So we look at the properties here. We have some taste and temperature, but really we outright say that the taste and temperature doesn't matter. This has no bearing on its ability to kill parasites. These are just herbs that kill parasites. Then drink channels, all these enter the stomach channel because your uh, parasites are in your stomach and intestines. Use caution during pregnancy because you're expelling parasites. And maybe that would expel the baby as well, which is something you possibly don't want. Main action here is to expel parasites, and these are usually, again, taken taking on, taking on an empty stomach. That's just easier for these herbs to have an effect if you don't have food in the stomach that's also interfering with them as well. And so, like we said, this is a very short category, only three herbs, and they, they expel parasites. Some may, maybe some things that we'll take a look at is, do they have other actions other than killing parasites? And we might want to look at, do they have a specialty in terms of killing these parasites? So the first one we'll talk about is Schirjunza Quisqualis fructus. Schirjunza Quisqualis fructus and this is Rangoon creeper fruit. I I actually don't know what that means. I'm I'm not actually Rangoon I think is a city in Myanmar, so I'm not sure if this refers to a certain type of creeper that grows in that area or if Rangoon means something else like when you talk about Crab Rangoon. Or I guess there are some things where it's like a Canada goose doesn't actually come from Canada. It was named after a guy. Or um, German chocolate was named after the man, not the country. So Rangoon creeper fruit. If that means anything to you, that's what this is. Shirjunza So Shirjunza is a uh, main action is, of course, killing parasites. And it's especially for roundworm and pinworm. And so this one, it's a small fruit. And so this is especially... I'm not sure, like, again, I'm not really into, uh, not, I don't have children and I don't particularly care to have children. So I'm not sure how common this is, uh, in modern times or in Western countries, but I know at least a generation or two ago in China, ra- uh, pinworms and children was something that was still fairly common. And so that's why though I say you, you, better wash your hands before you eat food because it's, uh, eating food with unwashed hands, you could end up with pinworms. And so I had a teacher that his mother worked at a hospital and uh, sometimes they would go play and they would play around the hospital and uh, the other doctor would say, come here and look at this. And they would then look through the microscope and see the little pinworms or little pinworm eggs. And they would say, this is why you need to wash your hands before you eat. So you don't end up like this with the pinworms. So again, I don't know if this is common in modern times, but um, traditionally this was uh, especially good for Uh, pinworm, this is something that you could take individually as a single herb and because it's a fruit and it's kind of sweet tasting, you don't necessarily need to cook it in decoction or prepare it. You could just give it to the children to have them chew it and eat it. And it's, it's a fruit, it's kind of sweet. So it's fairly easy for them uh, to get them to take it. Besides killing roundworms, um, yeah, even Bensky says it can be used by itself for mild cases. Um, but besides doing uh, that, it also strengthens the spleen and disperses accumulation. So, for this childhood nutritional impairment, again, like we talked about with gon accumulation, a withered yellow facial complexion, emaciated body with enlarged abdomen, or abdominal pain from parasites. So, it also has this sweet flavor that will strengthen the spleen, or just for general signs of malnutrition or. Abdominal distension, poor appetite, or weak constitution. So we're both killing the roundworms, but we're also strengthening the middle jowl. So here we say uh, seeds are dry fried, chewed, and swallowed or ground into po- powder and taken with congee. So again, it's very common to take this as a single herb, and for especially for mild cases, and it's more like food therapy. And then so this is kind of a funny caution where you say avoid drinking hot tea afterwards as it can cause hiccup. And so this, again, a story from my same Chinese teacher, he would talk about uh, this was a common, this would be a remedy for pinworms. But sometimes it was something that you could play a prank on someone, that you could, you could go up to a to your classmate and say, Here, I have some some sweet-tasting candy for you. I have some nice fruit. You should take it. And so they take it and they eat the up and then you say, Here, would you like some warm water or would you like some warm tea? And when you drink the warm tea, it causes some sort of reaction that it just gives you these really bad hiccups. And so uh he talked about that, how they they would play pranks on each other with that, but it's also, it's a, it can be a side effect that if you just eat the whole fruit, uh, if you drink warm water afterwards, it can give you the hiccups. Apparently, if you drink cold water, it's not a problem. Um, but I think what he also said is sometimes there, you can see it's a little fruit in there, a little tips. If you snip off the tips, it's less likely to give you that problem of hiccups. So maybe that's something you can try as well. And then Bensky does note out that, does note that um, if you do get these hiccups, the remedy is to take a decoction of Ludo, Mengmin, and gansau licorice. So I think this is kind of funny because this is also how we do- detoxify futsa poisoning. So uh, Ludo and gansau. if you have too much futza, you, uh, you can use it. If you take too much shijunza, you get the hiccups. Apparently that will also work as well. So that's uh, shijunza. The name means Respected Envoy Seed. Um, Respected, sure. Junzo respected envoy seed, and I think this just refers to the the this fruit became famous because there was an envoy who who went to one area and he brought this with him and he would give it out to children and for dealing with parasites and pinworms. So it's just there was one guy who did it's kind of like a Johnny Appleseed sort of thing. So that's how it got his name. It's just named after this one envoy, this uh, respected envoy who came in and uh, gave out shirjunza to all the children. So that's shirjunza, very common one for, I would say, especially remember pinworms because it's uh, very common to give to children and pinworm, I feel like is more common in uh, children again, because they play in the dirt and don't wash their hands, but also for roundworm as well. So for shirjunza, I would remember pinworm and strengthening the spleen with its sweet fruity flavor. Next is bing-long arecai semen, bing-long arecai semen. And this is betel nut. So if you remember before, we learned um, the shell or the husk that goes around the betel nut, dafu pi arecai pericarpium. Well, here we're learning the nut that's inside, which is betel nut. Um, I'm not super familiar with this one, but I think this is one that in certain countries they like to, um, chew this, that it can be like a stimulant. And so, um, I think there are certain countries where it's very common to see people as they're working, chewing on beetle nut and it acts kind of like a a stimulant, but anyway, for us in TCM, bing long kills parasites and it's, um, especially good for, for tapeworm, but it can also be used for other types of, um, parasites like fasciolopsis pinworm, roundworm, or blood fluke. I believe blood fluke is schistosomiasis. So it's a, a parasite that instead of being in the intestines, it's in the blood vessel. So um, <clears throat> it's good for all types of parasites, but especially for tapeworm, but it can be used for these other types of parasites as well. Besides that, it also moves chi and disperses accumulations. So for things like food accumulation, and qi stagnation with abdominal distension, constipation, or diarrhea with tenesmus. So maybe you can think that uh, the, the husk of the beetle nut is dafu pi. It's in the regulate qi category, so it's good for moving qi. It turns out the seed inside, bing long, also has this action of moving qi and dispersing accumulation. It can also move qi and promote urination. So for things like edema and leg qi with swelling and pain. When we say leg qi, we mean Dampness in the legs causing this edema. And this is usually similar to a Western diagnosis of berry berry. So when we say leg chi, that's what we're talking about, is berry berry. And then also Bensky mentions that this can also be used for malarial disorders as well. But that is Bing Long, a rec semen, I think that's all we have to say about that. Um, good for parasites, so remember best for tapeworm. So we had our last one was uh, more for roundworm and pinworm. This one best for tapeworm, but also these other types of things. But then just also remember that it has this moving function as well, because it's the inside of dafu pi, which is a regulate chi. And then our final one here is da swan ali sativi bulbus. Da swan ali sativi bulbus. This is garlic bulb. And so, as far as I know, this is just regular garlic. I've occasionally been places where, um, people have tried to tell me that Daswan is actually specifically elephant garlic, um, which I don't know a whole lot about. But when I went and looked up the Latin names, I think elephant garlic or purple garlic or these other types of garlic actually have different Latin names. The, the Latin name we have here is just regular garlic garlic bulb so as far as I know this is just the regular garlic the any old kind you would get when you go into the supermarket so um, if I if I'm mistaken about that somebody let me know in the comments below but as far as as far as my my knowledge of botany goes I think this is just regular garlic nothing special um, about it. So Daswan kills parasites, especially for hookworm and pinworm, and it can also be used uh, topically for uh, things on the scalp or other types of rashes. So this is one that when we say kills, kills parasites, we can refer to those real parasites, intestinal parasites, actual worms like roundworm and pinworm, but this one we can also use topically for certain skin infection or fungal infections. So Daswan is one that does both. We also say that Daswan uh, disperses abscesses and reduces swelling for early stage sores and abscesses. Um, so we're, I think we can talk about sores, abscesses also like as in heat toxicity, I put a snake there because I think in the commentary, Bensky also does specifically talk about snake bite and other, so think about those types of welling uh, uh, sores and abscesses that we talked about in the heat toxicity category. And this one, you can take it internally or apply it topically. Here we just have to know that, um, first of all, I feel like there, there can be some problems taking this internally, especially if you take it raw, it can very easily cause some upset stomach or some nausea. So like just sometimes eating a whole raw garlic clove can be difficult on your stomach, give you some heartburn and stuff. But also when you apply it topically, it's just very acrid and can very easy, easily cause some redness and irritation. So that's something we have to be careful about. But I do feel like even in Western medicine, it's very common to pound this up and use it as a poultice. So you might apply it op- uh, topically to draw out certain to- toxins. I feel like that's common both in uh, in Western uh, herbal medicine as well. And then we also say it warms the stomach. Hopefully this this is something you're familiar with, that garlic creates some heat that it can warm the stomach. We said the same thing about like zong um, bai. Uh, green onion or scallion, a uh, spring onion, uh, or we said about ginger or uh, shangjiang. These are all things that are very warming and warm in the middle. And so we have a similar thing with garlic. It also warms the middle for things like diarrhea and dysentery due to epidemic toxin, or it can help with food stagnation. So this is something that if you eat a lot of meat and it gets stuck, maybe some garlic can help warm and move things through. But again, it, especially if you're taking it raw, I feel like you need to I've tried chewing on raw garlic before and it didn't go very well. Um, so here we say, do not use topically for long periods because it can irritate the skin, those oils, it's it can maybe draw out some of that uh, heat toxicity, but it can also very easily cause some redness and irritation. And then interesting uh, contraindication here, topical application of the perianal area or enema is contraindicated during pregnancy. Um, I initially was going to make a joke about this, but then I remember that there there actually are some women who who will use this as a natural cure for like yeast infections that um so maybe this is not as an enema or um anally, but if they in cases of a, a yeast infection, they would actually take put whole garlic cloves and insert them into the vagina. I think they uh, my friend said something about like you tie bits of floss around it to make sure you can still get it out but that is something that um i've heard as a natural remedy for uh yeast infections or other types of uh, skin infection itchiness things like that so that might be um another application what we mean when we say it kills parasites for these external problems so Um, I'm not necessarily recommending that you do that, but that's something that I have heard of, but that is something that we would uh, would be contraindicated during pregnancy that this warm, acrid, irritating, moving function is something that we should avoid at least locally uh, during pregnancy. And I think this is common with a lot of our topical things that, you know, when we talk about like posamon and jungu and things like that, that even though they're being applied topically or externally, we would avoid local areas like the lower abdomen or the genital region. Um, just because that movement could cause a problem. Whereas if you're like doing it on your hands or your face, maybe it's okay to use. So that is da swan garlic bulb. Here, I'd remember killing parasites, both external and internal parasites so both real worms, but also skin infection. Um, Also, in addition to dealing with like uh, skin problems as in parasites, we're also dealing with like heat toxicity related swelling, sores, snake bites, things like that. You can think about making a garlic paste to draw out the toxin and then also uh, can warm the stomach. And I don't know what the what the Western remedies are, but I believe in China, they would say if you eat a lot of garlic, well, I guess first of all, I, I should say that as far as I know, when we talk about these medicinal properties, we're talking about it raw, that if you add a lot of garlic to your stir fry or if you make roasted garlic and spread it on toast, um, then we're uh, – that it kind of loses some of those medicinal qualities. I, I imagine it would still like warm the stomach and things like that, but I think it loses some of those medicinal qualities. So we're talking about raw garlic, but then also I believe in China, the remedy for if you eat garlic and you get really uh, bad breath, what they would say to do is take some cooked uh, green tea leaves. So if you, if you made some green tea after you drank the tea, you have the leftover leaves, you can chew on those tea leaves and that will help with your garlic breath. So, um, don't use fresh tea leaves that would waste the tea, make the tea first. And presumably you drink enough tea that you have leftover green tea leaves. You could chew on those. Um, and that would help with your garlic breath Oh, here. I have someone to verify for me. We say da swan refers to garment common garlic in China, Taiwan and uh, all the other uh, that region swan or swan to to I think here means head. So like a head of garlic. Uh, and so the elephant garlic, that person, okay, that's good to know because I, I actually don't know where to get elephant garlic or purple garlic. I'm glad it's just regular garlic. So that, that was my conclusion as well. Just looking at the Latin name. So, um, I'm glad we got that straightened out or someone else can confirm, but that's das Wong, just your regular common garlic. So just as a summary like we said, uh Shirjunza, this is the one that is a fruit, you can just eat it and if you drink warm water afterwards, it will give you hiccup, but this is especially for roundworm and pinworm, but it also strengthens the spleen and helps with that childhood malnutrition. Binglong, uh beetle nut, uh this is good for parasites but especially for tapeworm, but we could use it for some of those other ones like uh uh blood flukes, schistosomiasis and uh hookworm and some of those other ones. And then we also should know that Binglong because it's the inside of dafu Pi, it also has an action of moving chi, moving chi through the middle jowl, and uh, can be used to promote urination to treat leg chi and other urination problems. Daswan is garlic. It kills parasites. Here, when you say kills parasites, it's good for intestinal parasites, um, like roundworm and to- pinworm, but also for skin infection, either like parasite skin infection like fungal infection, or like heat toxicity related skin infection, or even um, yeast infections and things like that you could use externally. So this one can be taken internally or used externally, and it also warms the stomach. So that is our category, herbs that expel parasites, again, a short one. So maybe just remember what's its specialty in terms of killing the parasites and what else can it do. After that, our very, very last category is substances for topical application. And so again, as we've gone through some of these other categories, we've learned other herbs that can be used topically uh, to treat certain skin things or sometimes to treat uh, injury trauma. We've learned other herbs that can be used both internally for certain conditions or externally for certain conditions. It just turns out when we say substances for topical application, here their main or primary application is to be used topically. Some of them technically can be taken internally, but when we take them internally, they pretty much all have some sort of uh, side effects or some sort of toxicity. And so we have to be very careful with the dosage and very careful about how we take them internally because they're kind of poisonous when you take them internally. So their main use is for topical application. And here, when we say uh, topical application, we're talking about things like uh, bleeding. So, we've seen this before where we had certain substances that we could apply topically to stop bleeding. A lot of our shells and minerals uh, could be used that way. We saw with things like uh, uh, mooly, high piao shao, things like that. Inflammation, swelling, and pain, and also oozing fluid, oozing in fluids. And they, they can also be used to uh, generate fresh flesh and promote healing and also stopping itch. So to some extent, we could say that some of these herbs are really good for killing parasites, but specifically for treating the the skin infection type parasites, where we have a a rash, itching, oozing, uh, fungal infections, things that are happening topically on the skin. So we could say that's we're treating those types of parasites. But then some of these substances are also used for other external applications like stopping bleeding or things like that. And we say some of these can be taken internally as well. If we are, if we're going to do that, we usually need to be very careful because of the toxicity or side effects. And when you take them internally, it's usually because we're tonifying kidney yang. So if they do have some internal use, the internal use is tonifying kidney yang. So this is substances for application. We only learned three of them. And so the first one is by fon Alumin, alumin, bai, bi, or it's also called ming fon. You'll see it both ways, it's very common to use both. So this is one of those that you just have to know both names, this is kind of like, um, this is kind of like a culinary example it would be like, uh, uh, cilantro is also known as coriander leaf. And so you just have to know somebody says coriander leaf, they mean cilantro, or somebody says spring onion or scallion or green onion, they all mean the same thing. So bai fon and ming phan, um are the same thing. And this is alum or alum Um, I, I don't really know enough about this to know how that's actually pronounced. Apparently you can get this in the spice aisle that this is, um, a substance that can, is used in pickling sometimes, but I think they also used it in the process of dyeing fabrics that would help the dye stay. And I think I read something that they would also use it as like an adulterant in bread, that if you mixed some of this in with your bread, it would cause your bread to absorb, absorb more water. And that way your bread was heavier. And so you could like sell it for more money. You could sell a, uh, a one pound loaf would be actually be less flour because you put some alum in it. But anyway, it's a it's a some sort of mineral and it uh, it can be used topically to resolve toxicity, absorb dampness, kill parasites and relieve itching. So it's used as external wash for scabies, tinea and rashes due to dampness or damp heat. So this is a rather important one used in dermatology that we can use for these types of things. It can also be uh, it can also be used to stop bleeding. So if we take it internally, it can be used for diarrhea with blood in the stool, or flooding and spotting, as in uh, heavy menses during the period, or spotting between periods, or for vaginal discharge. Or we can use it externally for nosebleed, bleeding gums, bleeding due to trauma. So I think we've learned a lot of things like this that are kind of like little white powders, or, or Qing Dai is a purple powder that we learned that can be uh, used to stop bleeding. But we also talked about this with some of our high piao shells uh some of our shells and minerals as well. So here we have another one that can be used to stop bleeding. And if we use it internally, we can also uh say it clears heat and transforms phlegm for wind phlegm disorders like irritability, delirium and convulsion. So you can think about some of our other wind phlegm things I think we talked about in the previous category, we talked about Bai Jiangsan, silkworm going through the channels and chomping up the phlegm, so it's good for wind phlegm. Remember, we talked about things like um, Zhe Xing is especially good for wind phlegm, so we do have other substances that are good for wind phlegm, but you may uh, go through this as well. We would just have to be careful with uh, our dosage that um, if we're using in decoction or in a pill or powder, notice that's a very small dosage, so we don't want to use too much. So that is biphon or mingfan, alum or aluminum. Next is liu huang, sulfur, liu huang, sulfur, and you know, huang means yellow. This is a yellow powder, so liu huang is sulfur. And Liu Huang, kills parasites, resolves toxicity, absorbs dampness, and relieves itching. So again, for used topically for these skin conditions, especially for scabies. And when you have these little mites burrowing under the skin, I think they're microscopic. You can't actually see them, but uh, you'll get some like raised bumps and rashy type stuff. And also for tinea, uh, like again, fungal infections like athlete's foot, or you can get it on your scalp, other places as well. Damp, festering sores, ulcers and yin-type flat abscesses. So for those things as well, this one is hot in nature, so we're probably going to use it for those yin-type abscesses, not necessarily for our damp heat type of conditions. But that's the hong. We can use it topically. Um, if we wanted to use it internally, we could say we could use it internally to tonify kidney yang for cold and painful low back and knees, impotence, uh, asthma, and uresis, constipation, asthma. We're talking about the kidney grasping, lung qi, I believe here. And this one, we say contraindicate during pregnancy and use caution with internal use. So this is something that if we are going to use it internally, we need to be very cautious with the dose. So here we list our dosage as one to three grams. I think Bensky notes that. Um, a toxic dose is like 10 to 20 grams. So even what we usually consider a normal dosage range, it can still be toxic. And when we say toxic, we don't just mean like you have an upset stomach. We mean like it can put you in a coma toxic. So if we are going to use this internally, we have to be very careful with the dosage. And so here we mentioned that it's hot and toxic. Um... But this one, what I remember is uh this one time I was hitchhiking through Texas and I came across a small town called Sulfur Springs, and that was the the their main attraction there is they had some natural springs that had a lot of sulfur in it. And so this is something that people thought it was very uh beneficial to their health to bathe in these sulfur springs. So it's kinda like I started walking through towns like, oh, this the whole town smells terrible, but that's just because they had a, a river of sulfur running through it. Um, but this was, this was very common. A lot of people thought this was very good for your health to bathe in the sulfur springs. So you can think that that sulfur is good for your skin. But then I remember meeting some guy who said that, you know, he had a he had a neighbor or a great aunt who lived to be 110 years old. And her secret for living a long life is not only would she bathe in the sulfur springs, she would also drink the water. And so maybe that's, oh, that's what was helping her is that by drinking that sulfur spring water, she was tonifying her kidney yang. And that was... Uh, able to uh, keep, provide vitality. But again, this one is hot and toxic. So I just uh, be careful about its internal use. And I feel like if you want to tonify kidney yang, we have a lot of better, other better options to go to rather than sulfur. It just doesn't sound very pleasant. So that's Liu Huang sulfur. And finally, here is Shi Snitty Fructus, shi chuong zi fructus, and this one I think is a little bit more common to use, and it's also a bit more common to use internally. But, Shichwanza kills parasites, dries dampness, and relieves itching. So here we're talking about you know, getting any skin infections, but also when we have some damp skin condition where the uh, skin is moist or oozing and there's a lot of itchiness, this can be helpful as well. So use topically as a wash, powder, or ointment for weepy, itchy skin, especially in the genital area. Because um, if you're going to have damp, itchy skin problems, it's probably going to be in your genitals, but also for scabias and tinea. And this one, again, it can be taken internally to tonify kidney yang for impotence and infertility, both male and uh, female infertility. So it's also used as a kidney yang tonic. And this one, I feel like it is a little bit more common to use, whereas like Liu Huang, I'm not sure many people would would use that, but... Um, Certain uh, kidney yang tonics or especially like spring wines when people wanna uh, make some alcohol that they can just drink over the winter time to uh, help fortify their kidney yang. I feel like Shi Chuangza is one that I've seen in that application. And this one, even though, Typically, we say in this category, you have to be really careful about taking things internally, but we still have the normal dosage of three to nine grams in decoction. And even though we do say this one is slightly toxic, I think it's at least when you look in Bensky, he doesn't mention a lot of adverse side effects here i think he mentions he, he makes some note about when people took the actual raw form there were really no reported side effects if you took some sort of extract of it then it was possible but i think even though we listed as slightly toxic we don't see a lot of adverse reactions so this one it is it is fairly common to see it used internally the name shichwangza means snake bed seed Remember, shu means snake. Like Baihua shu is a type of snake, white flower snake, or Baihua shu was white flower tongue, Uh white flower tongue, white flower snake tongue grass. Sorry, Baihua shu So shu means um, snake, but snake bed seed. This just refers to the plant uh, often has snakes underneath it. Uh, so I think snakes would make a little nest underneath this plant, and then they would reach up and. Uh, chomp at the seeds. And that's the only reason why it has this name. It doesn't have anything to do with that. And so one example of this being used as a topical application, this is something that you may have, uh, in your student clinic, or it's very easy to find online is this Yin Care herbal wash. This is, um, kind of a natural, uh, it's often used as like a douche for like, um, uh, yeast infections and itchiness of the genitals and things like that. You actually can use it on just topically on the skin as well for other types of uh, skin problems, but I think they had it come with a little applicator and some instructions of how to dilute it and use it um intervaginally as well so that's just the common usage for it but we can see here over our ingredients the first one there is shu so here it's being used as a wash it's being used in this external application to deal with this dampness this itchiness especially in the genital area and then we'll see some other things that we have learned as well like Aiye is moxa remember we could also use that externally for skin problems uh huangbo is another name for huangbai so um uh, dampness in the lower jiao. Ku is one that we learned, uh, also especially good for itchiness in the genitals. Remember we said ku is good for your cooch, so it's good for itchiness of the genitals. Uh, Tsang-jiu is in the aromatic transform damp category. This is our best herb for dampness. It's so good at treating dampness. We can even use it uh, externally for dampness. It's especially useful, used internally to aromatically awaken the spleen and deal with mild jiao dampness. That's so good at treating dampness. It can be used externally as well uh Jirza clears heat we have a lot of these um uh, is another one that we learned that's very good topically for itching so this is just an example of putting these all together into something that can be used externally to deal with these um tinea's fungal inf- infections uh damp related skin problems itchiness uh this this can be used topically anywhere on the body for these types of uh uh skin problems but it's especially used in the genital area as well uh so just as a summary here we only learned a couple uh biphon or ming fan It's good for skin issues, um, but it can also be used to stop bleeding and um treat fa- It's good for skin issues. Liu Huang is sulfur, it treats uh skin issues. It can be used internally to tonify kidney yang, but we need to be real really careful about the dosage because you don't want to put someone in a coma. And Shu treats these uh damp skin issues. Um, But it can also be used internally to tonify kidney yang. So that is our category of substances for topical application. And with that, we are finally done with all of the herbs. I think it's taken us like two years, but we are we now have all of the herb categories through herbs one, two and three. So since we're at the end here, I'll just say something briefly about why we did this. First of all, thank you for being here for this entire time. uh, this is something I started a while ago. So if you're getting to this point, it's possible that you've been with me this whole way through herbs one, two, and three. So thank you for being here. But as, to, as far as like why, why we wanted to do this, I, I feel like there's a couple reasons. First of all, this gave us a good opportunity to talk about fundamentals and TCM theory. So this is something that I know that not everyone is into herbs. Like even when I would teach herbs classes, I would ask people, are there, how many people are just not interested in learning herbs? And I think that's completely okay. Some people are just, they just want to do acupuncture. They just want to do sports medicine. They're not, they don't really envision themselves having a raw herbal pharmacy and being really into herbal practice. And I think that's okay. But one of the good things about learning herbs is you get to learn a lot of other TCM theory along the way. And some of this is stuff that you might not learn in your other classes or you won't learn in your acupuncture classes. So besides just talking about the herbs, we were able to talk about other things like the different types of bleeding. You can have bleeding due to heat, bleeding due to stagnation, bleeding due to deficiency. And that's something that is applicable to acupuncture, but we usually just don't talk about in acupuncture class. We can get a little bit more into the theory of how external attack work, attacks work and how do we treat them in the various stages. That's something we talk about more with herbs. Or um, just some of the things like we talk about heart heat pouring into the small intestine. That's a very important concept, but it's not, necessarily, it's not necessarily something that we talk about in acupuncture. So by going through all these herbal categories, even if you're not into herbs, it gave us an opportunity to talk about uh, a little bit more in-depth into some of these TCM topics. The other reason to do this is um, I think it's really important to... I, like, I I enjoy herbs. I like talking about herbs. And I think it's important to explain why the herbs do the things that they do. And so we were able to go into some detail about that. This is something that when people email me and they're having trouble, this is one of the things that they mention is that their teacher just stands in front of the room and just uh gives them a bunch of facts that they have to memorize. They say, memorize these properties, memorize these actions, but they never actually explain why it does what it does. So that's something that we are really trying to emphasize here is that... Um, not just saying, here's the list of functions, go memorize them, but trying to explain why things do what they do, why they treat the things that they treat. And a lot of times that's why we spent so much time going over the category overview before we even got to the herbs because when we establish some of that basic information about what does it mean to stop bleeding, what are uh, strategies for stopping bleeding, what are the taste temperatures and entering channels associated with that, when you front load that information, It makes it so much easier to uh, understand why those herbs do what they do. But we were trying to put an emphasis a lot on explaining the the logic behind it and not just saying memorize these things and also trying to create some connections between the actions and the taste and temperature or the actions and the entering channels or trying to say something about the Chinese name of the herb in order to make it easier to memorize the opinion. And then finally, uh, kind of one of the ultimate goals here is Lately, I've had a lot of people asking about um, studying for boards, either studying for year ends or uh, studying for their board examinations. And I feel like it's really common that people get through school, they get to their boards, and then they just freak out. They feel like they have to relearn four years of material in six months. They just have to shut everything out and cram for six months while they just memorize everything they were supposed to learn during school. And so kind of my hope here is that if you start from the beginning and if you start from a good foundation and you actually understand these things then by the time you get to your year ends or by the time you get to your boards it'll be easy because you actually know it and you'll ha- and you actually understand it that yes maybe you have to go back and review just to remind yourself of things but It's like, if you take the time to actually learn it in the first place, it's much easier to review it later rather than getting to the end and and being like, oh, I need to relearn uh, all all this material. So that's the other kind of hope here is that by going through this, by going through this in detail and by learning it well, then if you go through it this way, then by the time you get to your year ends, by the time you get to your boards, uh, you'll be able to breeze through it and Also, I guess my other piece of advice with that is as you go forward from single herbs, try to keep reviewing this as well. Don't just put it aside and forget it. So my advice would be if you're going from single herbs now into formula class, still think about your single herbs and you can use your formulas as a way to review your single herbs. So in the very beginning of herbs one, our first category was herbs that release the exterior. When you get into your formulas one class, the very first category is formulas that release the exterior. So maybe as you go through those formulas, instead of just trying to memorize the signs and symptoms associated with each formula, you can actually go through and look at the ingredients and, and try to understand it, try to make sense of why are these ingredients in this formula. And then it becomes this kind of circular thing where you understand formulas in terms of their single herbs and you understand single herbs in terms of the formulas in which they appear. So hopefully that will just Uh, deepen your knowledge of these herbs and these formulas. So that was kind of the goal here. Hopefully, uh, hopefully that helps someone going through all these categories in this great detail. But just want to say thanks for being here. We'll see you in the next one.